Non-refundable. Non-refundable is the title from just one verse, so I won't make you stand this morning because we're just going to read verse 6 of Philippians 1. A familiar verse that you may have heard before. It simply says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for this precious promise. May it be real to us, more real than it's ever been before today. Speak to your people, Lord, through your word and by your spirit, and we will give you thanks. May you increase as I decrease, and we'll give you all the glory, honor, and praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since today is Sunday, this may or may not be true, but normally the day after Christmas is one of the biggest shopping days of the year. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Folks want to go out and spend their gift cards that they just got the day before and whatnot. But what really drives it up also is the fact that a lot of folks are going to be going back to return things. Either things that don't fit or maybe things that they didn't want, right? And so it is a big shopping day for that reason. But I am thankful today that the gift we receive from Jesus Christ, the gift that is forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Christ, is non-refundable, not returnable. God will not take it back. He doesn't give it just to come along later and, and give it back to Him. It's a gift that is eternal. And so I'm so thankful that we have a salvation that lasts. Now, a lot of times Baptists get a bad rap because they say, Oh, you guys believe in that security of the believer, perseverance of the saints, once saved, always saved. It goes by a lot of different names. But I'm glad and I believe with all my heart that that's not just a Baptist doctrine, it's a biblical doctrine. And I'm thankful for that. And I know that I have brothers and sisters in Christ that go to other denominations that don't agree with me on that subject. But I sure don't understand how they can have peace and assurance and joy always wondering if they're saved or not. Always wondering if God took it back. Always wondering if they need to get a little bit more. Always wondering if they need to work a little bit harder to get more of it. I'm glad that none of those things are true and that God gives freely through Christ and He gives something that doesn't come back later or we don't have to go and get it again. And so before we get into looking at Paul, uh, who wrote that, that verse that we read and wrote this book, I want to make sure that I'm clear about something. And that is this. When someone is born again, when you are truly saved, you have something that you cannot lose. But, there's always a but, isn't there? But, you had better make sure, with everything in you, based on this word, not what you say, not what the pastor said, not what the church said. You had better be certain that you have got what you claim you've got. <clears throat> because here's the reality. You can't lose what you never had. You better make sure you have it. If you have it, praise God, you can't lose it. But you better make sure you have it. And so I would be remiss if I didn't touch on this first before we get into the main crux of the sermon. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures and then I'm just going to take a moment to try to exposit some of that. The first one is 1 John 2.19. There's some, there's some verses in scripture that, that cause me to tremble. Well, most all of them do to some degree, but some of them really do. And this is one because I've seen this so much throughout my, my time in ministry. And, and it's always a difficult thing to think about. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Now listen to what he says. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out 
that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Now understand, this passage is not talking about church. There are people that leave a church. And a lot of times, it's sad, but when someone leaves a church, it's like all the people that they used to be friends with, it's like kind of like we're Amish, like we shun them. We don't speak to them anymore. If somebody leaves a church, now hopefully they're leaving for the right reason, because most of the time people leave church for the wrong reasons. But if they left for a good, valid reason, we don't have to not like them, guys. We're still on the same team. If, if, if they leave here and go down there, or they leave down there and come here, we can still love each other. I hope we still do. So that passage of Scripture is not talking about people that go from a church to a different church. It's talking about walking away from the faith. And unfortunately, we've seen people who at one time seemed to be on fire for God, maybe did many great things for God, and now they've wandered away. What do we make of that? One of the saddest stories that I ever heard was of, of a guy, and I'm, I always forget his first name, but his last name was Templeton. And nobody's ever heard of this guy, but when Billy Graham first came up on the preaching scene, people didn't come to see Billy Graham. They came to see Templeton, who was with Billy Graham. And he would preach these huge revivals and, and youth services. I mean, just pack the house with, with, with youth. And Billy Graham was just the side note. And this went on for a while. And then Templeton went back to uh, university, to college. And in the university, he began to study evolution and things of that nature. And to make a long story short, by the end of his life, he had completely renounced the faith. There's an interview, you can watch it on YouTube, an interview about that where he walked away from everything. And it's hard to imagine that someone that preached revivals and, and hundreds and thousands of people got saved under his ministry, yet he didn't endure. And, and again, we would have disagreements with other denominations who would say, well, see, he just, he, he just lost his salvation. But I would argue that the Scriptures declare you can start your race well, but if you don't finish, you never had what you said you did. Because if you have it, you'll finish you will finish. God assures, based on our text and a whole lot of others, if he starts something, he's going to finish it. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Now let me give you another scripture from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 15, verses 17 and 18. This is the story of the prodigal son. So this is one that you may be familiar with. So he's already gotten his inheritance. He's went out into the far country. He's squandered it. He's living in the pig pen, which as a Jew is unthinkable. He's eating the husk from the swine. He's as low as he can get. He has hit rock bottom. That's usually where we have to get to, isn't it, before we look up. Most everybody that I've ever talked to, when you ask them about their testimony, they're all different, but one thing in common is you had to get really down before you looked up. So this, this young man, he's in the pig pen, he's eating the husk. And then it says in verse 17, when he came to himself, he had that moment, he had that wake-up call. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, this is key, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'll give you one more scripture, and then we'll tie these all together. Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 8. For the Lord disciplines. That word is a picture a father correcting his child. Okay? So it's not a judge slamming the gavel down and saying guilty. It's a father lovingly correcting a child. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises 
some of you younger ones didn't get this uh, privilege that some of us older ones did. But in school, when you used to misbehave, you got sent down to the principal's office. And the principal didn't just call mom and dad. They had something better for us, didn't they? And it hung on the wall, and sometimes they even named it. And I think they got a little pleasure out of it. It was called a paddle. And uh, it wasn't pleasant. That's the idea of this word, that the Lord uh, corrects and he chastises. He gives us a little paddling every once in a while, if need be, doesn't he? Every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. To use the King James language, you are bastards. You are fatherless. That's what the word means. You are born to a slave and you are not a son. That's pretty strong language. So I see a couple of things in these passages that I read to you. Number one, in the passage from 1 John, when we see people that ultimately don't endure in the faith, they prove that they never had it. They prove that if they walk away forever, now people can backslide. And that's what the Hebrews passage is about. God is going to discipline someone that He loves. If you are saved, that doesn't mean that you can just go out and live your life any way you want to. If the Spirit of God lives inside of you, you are going to be absolutely miserable to go back and live the way that you used to live. Now, we all get in that place. We all, at times, fall into sin or even choose to go into sin. But by golly, if you're saved, you will be miserable. And if you continue in that path, God will get the paddle out. Not because He is angry as a judge, but He is a loving Father. He is going to do what is necessary to get your attention and get you back where you need to be. But if He lets you go, and there's no conviction, and there's no drawing, and you just keep going and going and going, you prove that the Spirit of God was never in you. And that's a dangerous place. But in the middle of that, from the story of the prodigal son, you see that wake-up call, whether it is the first time to salvation, or whether as a believer you are repenting and coming back to God for restoration of fellowship. It says, He came to His senses, and He said, I'm going to go to my Father. When you're sinning, we don't go to the Father, we run from Him. You see that in the Garden of Eden, when they sinned. They didn't run to God, that's what they should have did, should have done. That was bad English, should have did, should have done. They ran from him and hid, right, in the bushes. But this young man understood where he needed to go. And he said, I am going to go to my father, and when I get there, I'm going to say, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and before you. There was a confession. There was a repentant heart, a change of direction. He went into the far country. He came to his senses when the Spirit convicts us. We turn and go back from where we came, and we ask God to forgive us of our sins. You see the process there? If you are in sin this morning, that's what's required of you. God's not asking you to make a bargain with Him. He's not asking you to work harder. Maybe, you're, maybe you came to church today because you thought you, what you did last night was so bad, if you came here today, that would cancel the debt. That's not how this works. No matter what you've done, there is forgiveness and salvation in Christ. You won't get saved by just coming to church. You won't get saved by me baptizing you. You won't get saved by me praying with you. I can't save anybody. I couldn't save myself. But you will get saved when you confess your sins, admit that you are lost, 
and cry out to Jesus for salvation. And the reason that you will be saved is because you will experience a new birth which leads to a changed life. And that life will continue to change the rest of your days. And so now, I hope that we understand the difference between someone that backslides and someone that walks away from the faith. Let's get into this text this morning for just a few moments. Paul says, first of all, and I love this, he starts right off in verse 6, that I am sure of this. I am sure of this. That word means to have a settled conclusion. There are no questions left to be asked, no examination needed. This is settled in my mind. There may be a few things, life is constantly changing, isn't it? There's not a whole lot of things that we can be certain about day in and day, especially our world now, right? It seems like things change hourly. But Paul says when it comes to this, and I'll say this, when it comes to anything in this book, you can be settled with it. You can know that from the mouth of God, this book was inspired by men through the Holy Spirit, and anything within the covers of this page, you can count on it. You can count on it. And Paul says that I am sure of this i'm confident of this and this morning i want you to understand this if you are saved and you know that you are saved then you should have a confidence in that not because you are great not because you deserve it because god has given it to you and he's promised to give you something that he won't take back so many people struggle with their salvation uh, or their the assurance of their salvation because they they feel so unworthy they say, we sing about grace and we sing about love, but how could God love me? It's hard for us sometimes to make it personal. You come to church and you look around the room and you say, boy, preacher is talking about some wonderful things. He's talking about a God that, that loves me and a Savior that died for me. And that may work for everybody else, but he doesn't, he doesn't know me. Pastor, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the places I've gone, the things that I've thought. No, I don't. But God does. He saw every one of them. He heard every one of them. That ought to scare you if you're lost. But what an amazing thing that, that God knows every ugly, dirty, sinful secret about you. And He still loves you. I say this all the time to people. And I hope that it sinks in. God is... Hear me when I say this, please. God is not in love with a future version of you. God is not in love with a future version of you. He's not waiting for you to get a little bit better and a little bit cleaner and a little bit more moral and then He'll come along and say, now you're where you need to be. Now I love you. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He Listen, nobody in this room is old enough to have been alive when Christ hung on Calvary's tree 2,000 years ago. So all of us were still a future thought. Right? We weren't here yet. God in his foreknowledge, knows everything. He knows everything about you. He didn't say, well, before I get up on this cross, I just, this, this George Brown guy, and he's going to be around about 2,000 years, and buddy, he's a mess, and so I, I'll die for Monica Sapp because she's a pretty nice lady, but this George Brown guy, I am not doing it for him. He didn't say any of that. He went to the cross for the sins of the world, and that included you. That inc give him a hand this morning. He's worthy of it. I'm glad that He knows everything about us, and despite that, He still loves us. He doesn't turn His back on us. He comes and He lavishes upon us grace and an opportunity to know Him. What a gift. 
And Paul says, I'm sure of this. I'm confident of this. The old commentator, Matthew Henry, he wrote a, a huge commentary uh, that some people still use to this day. He said this about this verse. He said, the confidence of Christians is the great comfort of Christians. It's hard to have comfort when you're not sure about something, which is why I always go back when I talk to my brothers and sisters in other denominations that think you can lose your salvation. And I say, man, how can you ever really have a settled comfort in your heart, a settled assurance when one day you're saved, the next day you're lost? Maybe you got it, maybe you don't, maybe you're in, maybe you're out. I don't know how I could have any peace. When I fell under conviction when I was lost, I was miserable until I got right with God. And I couldn't imagine not knowing from moment to moment if I took my last breath where I was going. I'm glad that through the blood of Jesus Christ, I can know today for sure that I am saved and heaven is my home. Not because, again, I've done anything to earn that. If it was up to me, I would be lost forever. But because of Christ and His promise, I can rest knowing that my salvation is secure. There's an old hymn that I, I've never sung this, and I don't know of any churches around that I've ever been to that do, but the words are beautiful. It's called A Debtor to Mercy. I'm just going to read a couple of the words from that. It says, The work which your goodness began, the arm of your strength will complete. Your promise is yes and amen, and never was forfeited yet. The future or things that are now, no power below or above, can make you your purpose forego or sever my soul from your love. What a promise that we have. And Paul was certain of it. He was certain of it. What was he certain of? Well, look what he, he writes after that. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. This is critical for you to understand this morning. He says, he who began a good work in you. Here's my question. Who began the good work? Who is Paul talking about? Who was it that began the good work? He says in verse 3, I thank my God and all remembrance of you. So God is the one that he is addressing here as he writes to the church in Philippi. But specifically, he's speaking of God the Father. God the Father. Now, God the Father didn't die on the cross. Christ did. We understand that. The second member of the Trinity, Jesus, the only begotten Son, was the one that laid down His life. But before Christ ever was incarnate, we just celebrated His birth, before He ever left heaven and took on flesh, before He ever went to the cross, before He ever walked out of the empty tomb, salvation originated in the mind of the Father. You have to understand that because it's critical to this topic of eternal security, and I feel like one of the greatest arguments against being able to lose your salvation. So think about this for a moment. The work began with the Father. It was fulfilled in Christ, and the promise of the Spirit now lives with us in this age. So all three members of the Trinity have a role to play. But it began with the Father. Let me take you to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what Paul writes there. Blessed be the God and Father. Okay, so here's who we're talking about again. The Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. So again, he's writing to believers. Only believers are in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He, who is the He? 
God the Father. That's it. Don't be afraid. Shout him out if you know him. He, he, God the Father, chose us. Let's keep going. In him, before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Let me give you another verse that goes right along with this. Jesus told a parable that we call the sheep and the goats. It's going to happen at the end of time. But let me read to you a verse from Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, the saved, come, you who are blessed by who? The Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you when? From the foundation of the world. Look at me. God does not make mistakes. If God makes mistakes, He's not God. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. God makes no mistakes. We see that in these two verses, God the Father began a good work in you before the worlds were ever formed. Think about that. You say, how is that possible? God is eternal. No beginning, no end. We live by time. God doesn't. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God doesn't learn anything. He's not surprised by things. And so from eternity past, in His foreknowledge, and in His understanding, His omniscience, He knew and knows those who will ultimately believe on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. I don't believe that God picks certain folks to salvation and condemns others to damnation without any choice of theirs. I don't believe that. I know there are, again, brothers and sisters that would disagree with me on that, and we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. But I believe God does give us the liberty of a free will. Now, that will is bound until the Spirit of God convicts and the Scripture is applied to it. I understand all that, and that's a whole different topic. But understand this. God began that work before any of us were ever here. He was already working and providing and had a plan to save those that were lost by sin. When you got saved, or if you get saved today, God's not going to be pleasantly surprised. He already knows what's going to happen at Caruso Baptist Church on December 26, 2021. And you can write your date of salvation down on a card. And God knew what was going to happen on that day, long before that day ever existed. Because He began that good work in you long ago. Long, long ago. Look at this. I'm not going to go to all these scriptures, but I just want you to think about that. That to me is an unfathomable thought. That God was already doing something before He even formed the worlds. He was thinking about you. He was doing something for you to be saved, to be made right with Him. Sin hadn't even happened yet. And God already had a plan to right everything. That to me, you do, we can't even wrap our minds around that. Because we're not eternal. We're not omniscient. It's, our finite minds can't grasp it. Those things are too high for us. His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways, right? But in Genesis 3.15... 
God promises a Savior. He promises right after our first parent's sin. He said there's going to come one and you will bite his heel, but he will crush your head ultimately on the cross. And then in Luke 2, we think about the, the story of the birth of Christ. And we see this helpless baby in a manger being held by his mother Mary and his, and his, and his, father, his earthly father Joseph. And think about that. The people that he created are holding the Creator in their hands. What an amazing thought. In John 19, we see Jesus hanging on the cross saying, It is finished. Saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they have done. That baby in the manger, the one that was promised in Genesis, the one who was part of God's plan before the worlds were formed, is now here on earth and he is laying down his life 2,000 years ago for the sins of the world. In Matthew 28, we see a stone rolled away and we see an empty tomb and we see a resurrected Savior just like He said He would. I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it up again. And He proved forevermore that He was who He said He was. Many have claimed to be God. Many have even died believing that they were God. But there's only one, my friends, that ever came back to life. And His name is Jesus. And we don't have to wait till Easter to celebrate that. Because that is the foundation of our faith. I know that we look to the cross as being the center of the Christian faith. And without the cross, it's true that we would be dead in our sins. But without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. If Jesus is still in that tomb, Paul says we are still in our sins. Our preaching is in vain. We have no hope. But because that tomb is empty, it changed everything. And it continues to change everything. In Acts chapter 1, we see this risen Christ going back to the Father, ascending back. And the disciples watching. And we hear the promise from the angels. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus whom you've seen depart will return in like manner. And boy, one day real soon, I hope you're ready. Because in Revelation 19, just like the angel said, he went up in the clouds, and buddy, he's coming back in the clouds. And what I love about Revelation 19 is when he's coming back there, he's not coming back by himself. He's coming back with a whole bunch of people. And you know who those people are? You and me. You and me. What a promise. And so God has a plan. It's settled. He's not making this up as we go. His plan has always been. The Father began a good work in you before the worlds were formed. What an amazing thought. Paul says to us, He who began this good work in you We'll see it into completion or to the day of Christ Jesus. When we think about in the Old Testament, I know that Presbyterian churches, for example, are much more covenantal in their theology, meaning that they, they follow the covenants of the Bible and apply them to us. But I do think that there is some sound theology to some degree in doing that. So God makes covenants throughout the Old Testament. He made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with David. And we see all those things going on in the Old Testament. But there's one covenant in the Old Testament that is the final covenant that He makes there that applies to us today and in the age that we are in. We sometimes call this the church age or the age of grace. And we kind of read about that in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. And this is what happens now after Jesus has ascended back to the Father and the Holy Spirit is now active in people and saving people. He says this in Ezekiel 36, 26, this, this final covenant that He will make. I will give you 
a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. Now I want you to notice again, this isn't something that we are doing. In these two verses, notice how many times you'll hear me say, I will. God speaking of himself and, and saying, I will do this. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God, the Father, is doing this work. He's causing this to happen. He's began a good work in you. He's doing this work for you. You can't save yourself. When you look to Christ by faith, this process begins. The, the Spirit of God regenerates you. You are born again. You are justified. You are adopted. You are cleansed. And on and on and on go the promises. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. All those things happen the moment you believe. He puts a new heart in you. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said you must be born again. You can't go to heaven if you're still in your first birth. We all were born to sinful earthly parents, and we will die sinners unless we are born again. How are you born again? By faith. You look to Christ, you become a new creature. That's what happens. He says, I'll put a new spirit, notice, lowercase s. That is not referring to the Holy Spirit there. He does refer to the Spirit in a moment later. What is the new spirit? The Spirit is the center of our affections. It's our emotions, our wills, our desires. When we're saved, friends, we bear fruit that's different from what it used to be. We look different, talk different, think different, act different. If you don't, there's something wrong. That doesn't mean that we walk around and get it right all the time, that we never sin. But by golly, there's a change and it's evident. It's evident. He says, I'm going to take this heart of flesh, this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You're sensitive to the things of God. I used to be able to go out and sin and didn't think a thing of it because I enjoyed it. It's what I wanted to do. But when God took out that hard heart and gave me a heart of flesh, it doesn't mean that I can't harden my heart. It doesn't mean that I can't go against God. But as a believer with the Spirit inside of me, buddy, when He convicts, I can feel it. I can hear it and I can feel it. And I'm miserable until I get right because He makes you sensitive to the Word of God and the things of God. If you don't have that, this morning you need to ask yourself, why can I go out and live any old way I want to and not ever feel convicted about it? Maybe you don't have the Spirit of God in you. He says, now He says, I will put my Spirit, capital S, in you. We are sealed, the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Until the day of redemption. Don't miss that. A lot of people think that you lose your salvation. He comes along, He unseals you, He takes it out. Get saved again, puts the Spirit back in. That's not what the Scriptures say. He says you're sealed until the day of redemption. That's the day when you go on to glory. That's a, that is it. Look, Jesus said, I've come to give you eternal life. If you can lose it, it sure ain't eternal. It's only good until you don't have it anymore. Right? I mean, it's just basic stuff that we're talking about here. And he says that I'm going, to, I'm going to allow you to walk and obey. The Spirit of God allows you to walk and obey. Doesn't mean that we always heed the Spirit and listen, but we're able to do it now. Supernaturally empowered. The Bible says the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. Think about that. Pastor Chris doesn't have a Spirit any different than you do if you're a believer. Sometimes people come to the pastor and they'll say, I sure hope you'll pray for me because I think God listens to you more than He does me. 
buddy, uh, you, no, he don't. With the scripture we read for the confession verse, sometimes we can't even have the words to, to pray, to say. And the Spirit intercedes for us. He listens to His children. He doesn't just listen to the pastor. You don't, when I was, uh, before I got, uh, got saved, God gave me a double blessing. He saved me and He made me a Baptist. I always kid with people about that. But before I got saved, I was Catholic. And I'm not saying that no Catholics are saved. That's not where I'm going with this. But I'm just, I'm just saying that when I was a Catholic, I believed you had to go and confess your sins to a priest in a booth, and then you had to do this and do that. That's not what the Scriptures teach. We have one advocate and one mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. We, the veil is torn. We have access to God. We can approach the throne of grace boldly. All those things are possible for the believer. You, I, I'm honored to pray with you. But you don't have to come and confess your sins to me first before, and then I take them to, to God for you. That's not how it works. You, as a believer, have access to God. What a privilege it is, as the old hymn says. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We should never neglect prayer. It's a conversation that we get to have with God. And it's sad that we don't take advantage of that. But he says that God began this good work in you. God is doing this. He doesn't say, God began it, and now you have to complete it. He's not up to us to work for it. We couldn't begin it, and we sure can't finish it. It's all of God. And, and that's how he concludes that verse. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began the good work in you, the Father before the foundation of the world, began it, and he is going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. My wife gets on me sometimes, believe it or not, because sometimes I start things and I don't finish them. I, did, I, I thought for sure I'd hear a big amen come out of that sound room, but I didn't hear it. I think she did. She was just waving her hand. Maybe she, maybe she passed out back there when I said that. She, uh, somebody heard it back there. Okay, I knew I'd get an amen out of her for that one. But we start things, all of us start things sometimes, and we don't finish them. God never does that. God has never started one thing that he didn't finish. And I'm telling you, based on the word of God, he's going to finish this here too. He's going he's to put an end to this old, sinful, wicked world one day. And, and I say amen to that too, but on the other side of that, my heart breaks because part of that old, sinful, wicked world is people I love. And I don't want them to miss out on the salvation that's right there in front of them the Savior that loves him. And so while my heart as a believer longs for Christ to come and set things right, it breaks for those that I know aren't ready for that day. And so it's kind of a mixed emotions on that. But God's never starts something that he doesn't finish. Let me give you a couple more verses here. John 6.40. Jesus says there that this is the will of my Father, the one that started all this, that everyone who looks on the Son, Jesus, and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up when? On the last day. The last day, if it's the last day, are there days after it? No. If it's the last day, it's done. If, if Jesus said, if you're saved, I'm going to get you on the last day, that means it's over. You didn't lose your salvation because He's going to keep you to the last day. Amen? John 10, 28, I give them eternal life, not temporary life, not conditional life, eternal life, and they will never perish. If you lose your salvation, would you perish? 
Yes, you would. If you didn't, if you wasn't saved, you'd die in your sins. But if you got it, you're never going to perish because it's eternal. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. If that's not a promise that you can rest on to say, if I've really got this thing, that nothing can take it away from me, I don't know what is. That's not the pastor saying that. That's Jesus saying that. The very one that bought and paid for you said that. I think he knows what he's talking about, don't you? He said that no one will perish because I give them eternal life and they're safe in my hand. If you're in the hand of the Son of God, do you think anybody's strong enough to come along and take you out of there? Are you strong enough to come along and take you out of there? No. No, you're not. And if you walk away like they did in 1 John 2, what does that prove? You were never His. You were never His, guys. He doesn't give you something to take it back. You don't walk away from something that He began in you before the world began. Before you were ever here. Because otherwise, God started something that He didn't finish. Do you see? If He started something in you before you were ever here, and then you were powerful enough to walk away from it, God started something, but He didn't finish it. And that's not what my Bible says. It says if He started it, He's going to finish it. If you're saved today by grace through faith, it's because God started that plan and He's going to see it to the completion. And that's what Paul writes. You're going to see it to the day of Christ Jesus. When is that? When the Lord comes back. I love what John writes in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, he's writing again to believers. Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. The moment you believe you're saved, you're not waiting to get a second gift of the Spirit, a double portion of the Spirit. You don't need to be slayed in the Spirit. When you get saved, you are as saved as you'll ever be in that moment. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. We're not there yet in the process of sanctification. Every day, hopefully, we're growing in our faith, we're growing in our Christ-likeness, but we're not there yet, and we'll never be there yet. But one of these days, when we leave this body behind, or the Lord comes back for us, and we stand before Him face to face, the work of sanctification will be complete. We will be glorified. We will be as whole as we've ever been. We will be as sinless as we've ever been. And we will see Jesus completely as He is. That's the day, the hope that we're looking for. I love this story. I've heard it many times about Billy, uh, Billy Graham and, and Ruth Graham. And they were driving along somewhere together down this long stretch of highway. And it must have been Cincinnati because they were talking about road construction. And so the roads were all barrels everywhere. You know, that's the state bird of, of, of Ohio is the road construction barrel in it. But anyway, they had all these barrels and detours. And, and it said when they got finally through the mess and that things cleared out and the smooth pavement stretched before them, there was a sign that said that caught Ruth's eye. And it said this, End of construction. Thanks for your patience. That struck her so much. Do you know that she put that on her tombstone when she died? End of construction. Thanks for your patience. God's working in us as believers. And one of these days that job will be done. But in the meantime, we need to show each other a little bit of grace, a little bit of love, a little bit of patience and compassion. Because none of us have arrived. And we get a little too self-righteous sometimes when other people blow it and we think, boy, did you see them? I'm glad I'm not like that. And you sound just like the Pharisee. 
I'm glad I'm not like that guy, that tax collector. Right? You can read about that in Luke 18. We don't want to be that way. God began a good work in us, and He's going to see it to the end. My favorite scripture on this topic is Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I'm going to close with that, and I'm going to invite the praise team to come. Paul says there that I am persuaded that neither... Now listen to these things. He gives you nine things. And it covers everything humanly possible. I'm persuaded that neither death... So if you die, it's not going to take care of... It's not going to change this. Nor life. So no matter how you live. Nor angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We are sealed, we are kept, we are guarded by the love of God in Christ. Today, my friends, if you are saved, I hope that you can leave here today confident, not in yourself, because you know that it had nothing to do with you. But confident in the promise of God that He loves you, that He died for you, that you are His and He is yours, that He knows you by name. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And I give unto them eternal life. He knows you. He knows you. Rest in that promise. Stop wondering if you're loved by Him. You're not worthy of it. I'm not worthy of it not about worthiness. It's about His grace. And if you're lost today, my friend, why? I just simply ask you, why are you staying dead in your sins when you don't have to? It's a conscious choice that you're making. Whether this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel or the 10,000th time you've heard the gospel. Jesus is saying, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Come and take of the water of life freely. Come, whosoever will, let him come. Those are invitations, not from the pastor, not from the church, but from God Himself to come and know Him. And if you walk out that door today lost, you're doing to scare you, trying to manipulate you. I'm just trying to warn you, if God's dealing with your heart today, I'd do something with it. Let's pray. Father, we come to You today thankful that You give us a salvation that we cannot earn, that we don't deserve but one that You started and one that You will see through until the very end. Lord, I'm thankful that in all my sin and all my stupidity, You didn't ever come to me and say, Chris, I'm taking that back. But Lord, when I got outside of Your will, You sought me, You pursued me, You even laid me flat on my back because that's what I needed in a hospital bed to get my attention. And I'm glad for that because I needed it. And Lord, I'm glad that You allowed me a chance to come back and still be here to proclaim your gospel. So if there's someone here today, Lord, that's in that place, I pray that you are dealing with them even now. I pray that they would feel and sense the conviction of the Spirit of God and also the love and mercy of God that's available to them today. So Lord, have your way in this invitation and we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, if you need to come, the altar's open. I will pray with you. Whatever you need to do this morning.